Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Alpha Bunga Bunga, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. It's Wednesday, the 8th of September. I'm Alex Hochuli. I'm here with George Hoare. Hello, George. Hello, Alex. Um, and Philip Cunliffe is away, but we do have a guest, Alex Gendler, uh, who appeared briefly in the Cali Bunga series and is back with us to talk about incels. Hi, Alex. Hey, Alex and George. Yeah, great to be back. Yeah, not, not, not to minimize Alex Gendler's unique appearance here, but George did point out before that uh, he's the third Alex G we've had on the podcast. Um, so actually, you, so you came on before, Alex so you're the favoritism. second Alex G. There's a third Alex G. Yeah, so um, much so much Alex favoritism. It's it's just, I don't know. It's not nepotism, but there's probably Alex a word nepotism. for it. Well, I mean, if I, if I kill the other Alex Gs, I'll gain their power. Um, yeah, I think you have to eat their bodies, the, uh, though. You have to eat their bodies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let us know how that goes. Um, we don't want to lose, you know, guests, but um, but if we get one more powerful, like three times as powerful guest, then I guess right. that's progress or at least stasis, which is fine. You know, that's all we're going for, stasis at best. Um, no, it's, it's concentration. It's like um, there can only be one Bunga guest. We probably should have yeah. told all previous guests this, that one guest will consume all the others to become the guest, capital <laughs> T, capital G. Um, yeah, so apologies to all previous guests who weren't informed of this, but that's what you got to that kind of Hunger Games type thing you got yeah. to look forward to. Yeah, hope you're hungry. Um, so yes, we're talking about incels, as I said uh, right at the top. Uh, if you are interested in our in our other work on incels, we've discussed this once before. We discussed uh, that feel when no girlfriend, uh, Alex Lee Moyer's documentary on incels, uh, which was episode one twenty two. Now that was a documentary which was supposedly controversial and it was branded irresponsible responsible for simply allowing its subjects to speak, um, which isn't all that controversial, but it, it does show a little bit how kind of vexed this incel issue is. And the reason we're discussing this now is, well, twofold. One is that uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a mass shooting in the UK in, in Plymouth, and it was the worst one in a decade. He shot his mother before going on a, a rampage. And as they investigated who this person was, uh, found that he compared himself to incels on, on YouTube and on forums. Um, and so the discussion has been largely centered around this. I kind of looked up one article where it's an academic criminologist who focuses on the so-called manosphere, um, who, you know, explains, you know, the incels believe in a genetically essentialist social hierarchy. Um, there's references to Elliot Roger, actually, as there always is in discussions about incel, who has become a, some sort of incel hero, um, someone who went out on a, on a killing spree in, in 2014 in the US. Uh, and the discussion, I mean, specifically about this recent British case has, uh, well, been all over the news. So The Guardian, for example, explains that teachers in England are encouraged to tackle the incel movement in the classroom. And that same article cites a spokesperson for counterterrorism policing who says that uh, they define incel as an ideology. And where the terrorism threshold is met, they would classify incel cases under the category left anarchist and single issue terrorism or LACIT for short. So um, good to know that those all get bundled in together um, by the UK authorities. Um, and this also comes up under the the government's prevent uh, framework, which I think George can maybe tell us a little bit more what that actually is. Yeah. So this is so the clues in the in the title. The idea is to prevent radicalism um, by. Uh, I think it's generally considered to be um, a, a horrible failed policy. 
um, by yeah, essentially going and telling school kids not to engage in single issue terrorism. I'd never heard that phrase before. Or multi issue terrorism, presumably as well. Well, um, if yeah, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, then you're missing a trick. If it's oh no, maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. single issue. You, you can kind of you can get people really behind that that issue. I mean, multi issue terrorism is just politics. Uh, <laughs> right. That's yeah. just normal. So ra- just normal rainbow politics. rainbow terror coalition. That's what you need. Right. Um, so uh, obviously this has been very widely discussed in the US um, first and foremost, but, you know, it's kind of now being discussed around the world. So I just had to look up a couple of headlines. Uh, you know, ABC in Australia declares that Nazis and incels are using Gotya and MGMT to, ev- to evade TikTok's auto moderators report fines. That's one of those headlines that like, if you explain it to an o- older family member, you have to explain every single word what that means. Maybe they'll know what Nazis are, but the rest is um, completely opaque. Uh, BBC incels, Uh, A new terror threat to the UK, the new statesman, mocking angry young men may feel cathartic, but it won't stop radicalization. And even a widely syndicated piece uh, here in Brazil, where I am, the dark world of incels, involuntary celibates who hate women. Um, So to have us, uh, to help us unpick all of this, uh, Alex Gendler, who is, um, I'm told, the only writer in Brooklyn, um, who wrote a excellent essay, uh, a truly excellent essay called The New Superfluous Men in American Affairs in late 2020. In fact, I read it um, back then, thought it was brilliant, wanted to get Alex on and, um, you know, prevaricated basically for one reason or another. Um, but we're very happy to have Alex on now to uh, to discuss it. So um, you can find yeah, that. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, um, so I'm excited to actually discuss this. And I, yeah. I know you refuse to be, or, you know, really don't want to be pigeonholed as some incel whisperer with a secret line into the incel world. So I, I should tell listeners, you know, I mean, I know Alex, I've met him, you know, once, I think, but uh, we know each other on Facebook. And Alex has a wide and deep and varied knowledge and interest in in, in the whole world, really, well beyond um, men not being able to get laid. So um, I'm sure there's other things to look out for uh, that Alex will write. In the future, yeah. Um, um, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, great to be here. Um, yeah, uh, you want me to just like, I can just go back into like how like the article came about. Yeah, do that. Um, do that. Right. So I'll try to keep this background brief. But yeah, like I mean, the um, it's been percolating in my head since about 2018. That was when the Toronto van attacks happened, and um, there had been you know there had been incel attacks before that, notably most notably Elliot Roger, and I think even a couple before him. But Elliot Roger is really the first one that kind of captured the internet's attention, um, and. Um, yeah, there had been kind of, you know, in the wake of um, the Alec Manassian, the Toronto attacker, that was like the first time there was a bunch of explosions of like um, think pieces about like what are incels. And, you know, there was two kind of predictable responses that came from um, sort of the political spectrum. One was like the sort of left liberal response that was basically like, Oh, boo-hoo, male tears, like these men think they're entitled to sex, uh, but you know, men are still privileged and like so on and so on. Um, and the other one was kind of um not like sympathizing, either sympathizing with incels or trying to like, you know, cast their behavior as kind of um like an outgrowth of their social position. And it it was really sort of like an interesting reversal because the first time that like, I think um, you saw the right kind of using um, privilege discourse because really Mm -hmm. like, I mean, incels are the whole like 
incel kind of uh, worldview is basically um, we are an oppressed group and the chads are privileged because of their attractiveness and ability to get laid. Um, and women, and they also view women as privileged, like just by their very nature as women, because like, you know, for them, they think women can automatically get sex, which is kind of an interesting idea. And like, it's not entirely true, but it's something that like I, I'll go into in, uh, when I talk about the article. But yeah, the point is that this, I've been wanting to write this like since like 2018, but never quite like found the time. And then, you know, like the news cycle moves so fast that after a couple of months, no one was talking about incels. But um, fortunately for me and unfortunately for the rest of the world, this, is, this has proven to be an evergreen topic because <laughs> it turns out that an incel attack will sort of be bound to happen once every, you know, every year and a half or so every couple of years there will be a new thing like this and it's in the news again so um you know when i wrote it in 20 uh when i wrote it in 2020 it actually got um uh it got pushed back a bit um it was supposed to come out i think in the summer issue of american affairs it came out in the fall and in between then uh you know the pandemic happened and also the you mentioned um alex lee moyer's documentary uh, that came out and generated a whole a little bit of a new uh, news bump for incels mm-hmm. as a trending topic. So, you know, I kind of re- I, I referenced it a bit in the piece. And I, I mean, I thought it was an interesting uh, I thought it was an interesting film that kind of wasn't really what anyone expected it would be. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think a lot of people yeah. mis, mis, misunderstood it and um, it went in with some some preconceptions, which they thought were were, were kind of um were, were confirmed but actually i don't think really were and actually i mean like just hearing you t- talk about that it did make me think that incels are kind of like a like a rorschach test people see oh unsurprisingly here's a here's a kind of um support of all these these um assumptions that i had about society or about you know relationships between men and women previously yeah. um but yeah it, it also reminded me that a friend of mine uh did did say to me that, that brexit was like a, a rorschach test and i said no that's obviously that's bullshit it just confirms like my, my view of things so yeah maybe there is something about these sort of um social phenomena which people can read a lot into and you see yeah i mean as precise as you put it there were kind of pretty like predictable um different kind of responses on on lines you might have been able to imagine but actually just are, are, are you a brexel is that what you're saying george that you're a you're brexel a, a brexit celibate no, I celebrate Brexit. Um, <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was so lame. But you put you no, I like it. I like it. But I, I actually, Alex. Sorry, there's two Alexes. Alex G. I did have a a, a question about the the context. I guess because you were talking about the, the the period you were writing it, and then and then the, the the pandemic. So, do you think the do you think we're in the same situation now, or is like have the objective conditions, the kind of the loneliness, the alienation, the kind of the the fear around around covid do you think this is like we're gonna see a growth um a growth period for for incel discourse i mean uh probably considering that like you know it's been like over a year now that college students have just been stuck at home but um the funny thing is initially i I think one of the news i stumbled on at the beginning of the pandemic was that um and you know this was reported in like the usual kind of like a pearl clutching horrified uh liberal media way like oh incels are celebrating the pandemic because it means that uh stacy's can't go on tinder and get laid <laughs> yeah that, that's like negative solidarity but in the sexual realm i guess 
yeah. Um, so that was interesting. But I, I mean, I, I don't think that lasted. That was just a brief uh, little like schadenfreude that they got, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think anything's fundamentally changed. Uh, I think, you know, as I'll sort of describe, I think this is like a much bigger historical process than people who are kind of caught up in the day-to-day media cycle realize. Yeah, so I mean, on that, I mean, obviously, you know, you kind of at the beginning of the piece deal with the kind of mainstream discussions of of incel dom and as you've said you know you kind of have the liberal uh concern of denunciation and the conservative attempt at justification um you know like saying you know this is what happens when patriarchy ends that men no longer have guaranteed women and so on um or and actually also cite uh, welbeck his sort of market-based analogy that you know this is sexual inequality that some hoover up uh some some men get to hoover up all the women and, and the majority get left with nothing and you make an argument which is really compelling really interesting and something i had never really considered um and it's a kind of anthropological argument looking at uh, over the course of history what the role of men has been and how men have been expendable and i mean it's funny because starting reading i was like wow this sounds like we're going in a sort of weird biological essentialist argument, you know, kind of um, evolutionary uh, biology. Yeah, you, that's right? what I'm thinking. Evolutionary yeah. biology sort you of can direction. Just say the and, name Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just say his name, um, but it isn't that at all. So anyway, I'm going to let you explain what your argument is. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to segue into it because I mean, a lot of, I mean, the, the fact is like everything kind of gets. Um, labeled as belonging to like one political camp or another. So I think a lot of like left-leaning people are afraid to even touch like the subject of biology because, you know, that's a right-wing thing. That's just claiming that something is the way it is because nature and then, um, but, you know, that's like, that's not what it is. Uh, You, it's, it's a sort of foundation for starting to look at why things the way they are, the way they are. So like, yeah, let's just jump into this. The kind of assumption that both like the incels and their like feminist critics are working with is that something has drastically changed, um, you know, in recent years. And prior to that, in the good old patriarchal days, um, men could just uh, have women, the women they wanted, and uh, the women had no say over it. And, you know, feminists think that's bad and incels think that's good. Um, But if you really look at our history, um, and yeah, like I referenced the work of like, uh, particularly um, uh, the work of Roy Baumeister and uh, Jason Wilder. Um, And this is not like some crank fringe science. This will like, this shows up in all the mainstream studies. Um, If you look at all of our ancestors as like a total number of humans who have ever been alive, one thing you'll find is that out of all of them about something about like 80 something like about 80 percent of the women who have ever lived uh have managed to pass down uh their genes and something like only about a quarter uh maybe 30 percent of the men who have ever been alive uh managed to do the same so really just off the bat, it's a really shocking fact because mm. um, it means that most men who've ever lived in history were just evolutionary dead ends. Like they they did not manage to reproduce. Um, they didn't have children, they didn't have grandchildren. Like their contributions to the gene pool are just not there. So, you know, we, yeah, we and so they, they can track all this through like the, the Y chromosome, uh, haplogroups, like that kind of thing. 
Yeah, and you you put this. Sorry, just to interrupt, Alex, but you, you put this in the the <clears throat> in the article in a really like nice way that the the ancestors of the current human population are overwhelmingly female. It's like yeah. actually that is for reasons you've just explained. It makes sense, but as you explained in the article, it's very counterintuitive because you think oh, um, actually that that can't be the case. But yeah, it is. It is like right. the the like majority um of people who uh, sorry a far higher proportion of of uh, our female ancestors managed to to procreate than our male ancestors right and so like once you kind of process that the next question that comes up is like well what what happened to all the other men right like what was that 70% of men doing if they weren't um if they weren't reproducing um and that's like where it gets really interesting because, uh, and, and you can sort of like start to see this when you look at um, just in broad strokes. I mean, like I'll, you know, disclaimer right now, I'm not an anthropologist. You know, I did like a fair bit of research for this article, but um, you know, I, I know the broad strokes, um, but you know, they, they track the, the sort of uh, the ratio, the disparity in the, how many, um, how many women were reproducing uh, for every man reproducing in any, in like a given rough, like epic. So what they see that is, um, you know, it starts out, um, at a, like still lopsided, but like not ridiculously uneven, like about three to one. Um, and that's about mm, like 45,000 wow. years ago. Uh, and then by about like 6,000 BC, it jumps to like 17 to one. That's 17 women reproducing for every man. And so, you know, like, I mean, just off the top of your head, what's what happened between like 45,000 years ago and 6,000 years ago or 8,000 years ago, rather, sorry. Um, and, and this is, I mean, yeah, this is kind of like the emperor argument, right? Like uh, agriculture is like agriculture was a mistake because, you know, it created uh, complex civilizations, created all this inequality. Um, so if, you know, if we run with that, um, yeah, that's the first time that, you know, you, you get, um, a, a man who is, you know, if you're an hunter gatherer tribe, you know, maybe the Chad can have like a couple of extra women, uh, the alpha, whatever, the guy who's better at hunting, but you know, everyone is more or less like living in the same conditions, but yeah, agriculture is when you get, you know, one man in the village can have like a palace and own on the all own all the lands and um yeah can have like many many wives so um, so ba basically what you're saying is the <clears throat> the people ultimately to blame for inseldom at the at the farmers um are those pesky kind of wheat and barley planters and sowers and yeah reapers. exactly yeah that's yeah. that's who the incels should be mad at um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's really they go after the kulaks that's the right. <laughs> sort of this ironic historical turns no but i guess the thing that you're that your argument that you make in the argument is that this isn't just some sort of state of nature situation that then gets corrupted by civilization but that this expendability of men is something that is a feature even of, of civilization of you know post post agriculture and everything right um that yeah. men get churned up by well but you you explain yeah. So like, right. Like going back to the kind of like the fear of like, um, the evolutionary explanation, like, oh, this is just how it is. Well, there's, there's two aspects to everything. Like there's, 
like we are biological creatures with certain who operate in certain ways right but we're also like you know so it, at least some would argue uh highly intelligent apes who create these complex social structures and we build those complex social structures on the sort of on the sorts of foundations that we're given by biology and we do that in like really weird and unpredictable ways that often lead to like crazy unintended consequences but like the basic like biological facts um that sort of like underpins male expendability is that you know men produce how many millions of sperm in their lifetime um women have all the eggs they're going to have um one man can you know impregnate like 1000 women over the course of his lifetime a woman even if she controlled all the resources in the world there's like sort of an upper limit on how many children she can have um so yeah with just that basic fact it's like the, and the, you know those aren't like this isn't determinism right that it's just like okay that's the biological foundation what do you do with it and what hunter gatherers were doing it with it was like not that much right but once you get complex society now now the way that that biological like the sorts of scaffolding we build on that biological foundation become like really crazy right because then you get you know you get polygamy you get people like um Genghis Khan who you know i think um they found that something like most of the eurasian population is somehow descended from Genghis Khan yeah um yeah yeah he he had a he had a a, a can do attitude so i mean do you think it's an oversimple i'm not going to apologize for that um <laughs> even though probably i should do you think it's you know there's something in this this idea essentially that this like it it's a very pyramidical structure if that's if that's the right word so the like this kind of more traditional style of society benefits some some men essentially at the top of the the patriarchal uh, tree and then there's there's a whole i mean because if if um <clears throat> you know one uh, if you have a small group of of men who are reproducing with with a you know larger number of women then is there necessarily that kind of surplus population who who aren't who need to be got gotten rid of or managed or how does that yeah. work out right so yeah like going back to the question like so what happens to all the other men right like you have you have yeah. a small small number of men who are like reproducing with you know like hundreds of thousands of women um and those are obviously like the the leaders of society the upper class the ruling class whatever um and so what happens to the other men you know they're not reproducing obviously they're still there because uh you know more or less 50-50 ratio of men and women being born in every generation um what are they doing well they're doing they're doing the work they're they're the ones that are like building the pyramids uh they're fighting the wars they're um you know going off on ships to you know like often on suicide missions um and like i mean this is what this is what class society is right it's a large it's the few ruling over the many and the many uh, laboring for the benefit of the few and i'm not just i'm obviously i'm not just talking about capitalism i'm talking about free capitalism free capitalism forms of yeah. class society uh, you know like the sort of like the feminist narrative like well patriarchy means that you're privileged just by being born male 
it, it on on one clear level like and then you know this comes out a lot like this is like something that you know men's rights activists will bring up a lot like and in a certain way they're right um because you know even if you fast forward to modern society you'll see like who makes up the majority of the prison population uh who gets killed in like uh, occupational accidents uh who does like most like, like hard labor um that's it's men and it's historically been men and you know the stupid conclusion from that is like well you see men are actually more oppressed um yeah yeah but like but that that's not, not but you should be, you have to be you have to be yeah. class reductionist about this because reality is class reductionist so it's not just about right. oh siding with women or siding with men but actually it's a particular form of social organization which makes this happen right um well, i mean yeah, I, I, think, I, actually, I think that's that's yeah that's i think that's the point about the article why it's so good because it, it shows the like the sim the simplistic uh, all men are like a uh, uh, privileged that's that's wrong for this reason also like all men are um are not privileged is also wrong for a different reason i mean i don't want to i'm, I'm gonna do it but i don't want to read a, <clears throat> a quote from the article back at you but i just think it's um yeah very opposite contrary to both and so you're right in it uh, contrary to both traditionalist conservative myth and popular feminist narrative for most of history patriarchy was not a privileged one benefited from simply by being born male but a brutal racket in which millions of men destroyed each other and the world around them for the benefit of a fortunate few and that's i think you know that's class society but i guess my question then is like what were these mechanisms of destruction to kind of get into the the, the lurid details is this basically you know you need a war to thin to thin them out kind of um i, don't, I mean it's it's rarely intentional like that although I'll, I'll i'll get into it sometimes in history it has been intentional but you know the basic the basic idea is like once you have like agricultural based class society uh there's always an imperative to like growth and expansion um which for like kind of very interesting marxist reasons that like i'm not gonna get into that but yeah it's you know there, there's this is sort of like the the idyllic like old school like nationalist right-wing fantasy is that you can have all these like separate like nations empires that just exist within their borders and somehow but like that's never happened right like every single pretty much every single like empire nation has always sought to like expand its resource base uh expand its borders um you know either conquer or neutralize uh, their like their neighbors who you know are trying to do this like might try to do the same thing to them um so how do you do that you do that you know you you need you need labor to build stuff you need um you need fighting labor to actually like uh fight the wars you need um people to like explore and settle like you know possibly often like harsh environments um, and all of those things are stuff that comes with, um, comes with like, you know, a pretty high mortality risk. Yeah. Yeah. And, I so, guess, and, and, and that yeah. whole narrative there, or that picture that you paint is one that obviously is historically accurate, but also runs against, I think what maybe people somehow default assume about what the past was like, especially before the 20th century or especially before the second world war, which is, 
you know, um, private life, <laughs> which is an anachronism probably even when referring to some of these periods, but that it's, you know, husband and wife living in, you know, a single occupancy home, raising children and that every and that most of society is divided up into these little units. And that's kind of not the social reality, um, which I, I mean, I say that so that maybe to advance us uh, in, in historical time and, and advance the narrative and to bring us closer to our day to understand what this all has to do with incels today, because listeners might be going, yeah, right. that's all very interesting. But how does this relate to today? Right. Um, yeah, I think I think, well, I think listeners can, can hold some history in their in their heads. Yeah. I'll, I'll get I'll get there. I'll get there. Really soon. Like, this is just like one um, another like really quick foundation yeah piece. go for it so like so like all the stuff that you that a nation or empire or any kind of like you know class-based society does to expand its power and its resource base um all those high mortality jobs right like so who are you going to send there you can send you can send your men or your women or a mix of both the problem is that if if a population and you know again we have 50 percent men 50 percent women roughly being born every generation if a population loses um, a large chunk of its women, uh, it goes into a demographic death spiral because of what we mentioned before. Um, you know, every yeah. given woman can only have so many children uh, over a lifetime. Uh, you you lose half your women, uh, then that means like you know your next generation's cut in half has even less women to like bear the next generation and so on. Uh, now you lose half your men like no problem the remaining men can just have twice as many children easy so this kind of creates a surprisingly like i'm not going to say stable because it's clearly like characterized by instability but like for most of history this is what societies do you you send your men to uh you know all stones fight in wars uh go off on ships uh, many of which you know sink and a lot of them will die um in the process, they'll probably, uh, if everything goes well, like their efforts will still uh, gain you power, you know, you being the ruling class, um, bring more like resources, land, whatever into the society. And um, the ones who survive, the ones who manage to survive will, you know, be able to like move up the ranks and reap some of those rewards. So that's yeah that's what i mean it's how do you a how do you get the men to uh to do all that you know you hold out this promise of like and, and this is where the patriarchy part comes in because yes it is men who are on top and the way you get men to like kill each other and do hard labor and do all this shit is by holding out that possibility of like maybe one day you'll get to be the man that's uh, one of the yeah. men that's on top right um yeah and i think so in in the in the kind of <clears throat> british or english historical context you can see one outlet of this is like you, you send the third son to the priest her daughter to the church because you know you actually even in that kind of you know micro level you don't need them to be um to be <laughs> starting a family and um, right. taking resources and you just need to you just need a way to to kind of to manage yeah. them and to get them to get them out of the um or, or at least normally to get them out of the kind of re reproductive pool. Right. So even among, yeah, even among the upper classes, this, right? Yeah. You send the second son to like the priesthood, you send the third son uh, probably to like military officer and, you know, yeah, you'll lead yeah. some campaign, uh, whatever. And like still pretty high chance of getting killed, but you know, maybe he'll rise to the ranks and eventually then he'll be able to, uh, and then, you know, yeah. Or you send them on, on like the explorer ships and, um, again, yeah. 
maybe he'll end up in the ruling class in whatever colony you set up, uh, or maybe he'll be like Kildinian, you know. Um, but yeah, so I mean, this is not this is not always an intentional policy, but you know, at times it does, and you see this throughout history, like way before the 20th century, you will see writers in like um, you know in in like medieval China, in um, even in the Crusades, uh, that there becomes a bit of an intentional element to it because what happens when there are a lot of men around who are not are by the very nature of your social structure they they're they're not going to have the opportunity to produce because there's already a lopsidedness in that the ruling class men have kind of like monopolized uh, a large chunk of the female population for, um so when you have a lot of these men who are not uh, have no like chance of starting families uh and they're just like hanging around um society gets a bit unstable and um you saw you saw this even like during um even during like roman times uh the earliest sort of i think i forget who this was um there was an author who wrote about like uh you know the earliest sort of like mass converts uh to christianity were these like gangs of directionless young men who uh, kind of like in mm. um you know, like in Game of Thrones, the uh, what were they called? Uh, the the like extremist religious guys. Yeah, the, the sort of like, like Anabapt, the sort of Anabaptist, or that's what they're modeled on, I suppose. Was um, it the Sparrows, or was it the main <laughs> Sparrow guy? Yeah, but they were. It was like the militant wing of the Sparrows. What were, what the hell were they called? Um, but you know, they were like going around and like uh, trashing brothels and like dragging you know uh, women through the streets and like and, and you know it was obviously this like very aggressive impulse uh, under the guise of like uh, moral virtue. But like it's it's very it's it's very significant that like anytime you see stuff like that happening in fiction or history, it's groups of young men because it's like yeah, what better well what better things do they have to do? Um, and so you you see a growing consciousness only, throughout history. Yeah, yeah. If, if only like, they had, if only they had had podcasting to to stop them from from, yes. from doing these <laughs> these sorts of things. Channel channel their rages into something more more positive. But I guess you know to to kind of bring it to the to the 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 present day. I mean, is is there anything else in in terms of that historical narrative which which um, is worth adding? Because I mean, I I think the this this Welbeck um, explanation. Um, in reading his books, it's, it becomes really um, quite plausible. This idea of like economic liberalism and and sexual liberalism leads to this kind of pauperization. It's kind of this extreme kind of separation of like yeah. this. Is, so that that's the way that we should. I mean, and you know, f- feel free to sort of say this. You know, well, the I mean, the, right. The reason I'm harping on history so much is because that whole like those narratives that I described in the beginning and Welbeck included. They're not looking at history. They're looking at a very specific slice of history. Um, yeah. And what, what what I'm sort of saying is that throughout, like you know, yeah, throughout like ancient to medieval to modern history, there was this understanding that having a lot of uh, unattached young men around uh, destabilizes society, can create like civil wars. They'll be um, they'll be right picking for any like kind of demagogue that comes along. You know, look at like the Heavenly Rebellion in 19th century China. Um, so like that. So there, you do have cases where there's sort of an awareness that, like, yeah, let's we 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 need to do something with these men. And traditionally, the solution was let's send them off to war. Now, you wouldn't just start a war just because of that, but 
you know, there's always like some way to some interest you have somewhere in the world. And it's like, yeah, let's yeah. like that, that social it, pressure made itself yeah. manifest somehow um, yeah. consciously or unconsciously. Yeah. So, I mean, right. so, so basically the story is in seldom um, to use a contemporary term is the, a kind of a, a, a pretty constant feature of, of human civilization. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe men would have sex because they would go see prostitutes yeah. or something. Um, but they were, they were kind of unattached, but then something happens, right? Something changes this. Right. And the period that we now take to be the norm is actually pretty exceptional, right? So like the, something happens, especially, I guess, after the Second World War and the kind of civilization that emerges from there, which is which is particular, where it is this idea of the nuclear family, every, you know, every man and every woman become attached, like live in a in a in a household and, and raise children. Um, and some, that which would which, as you've just been explaining, isn't the reality for for most of history, including yeah. no, that, modern capitalist history, even. Yeah, I mean, that's like that image uh and you'll see this a lot in like those like you know the alt-right kind of like trad uh groups they have that image of like the the night the, the white family and like the nice mm. like suburban picket picket fence uh you know and like you know two with exactly two kids and a dog and uh you know like like this is what they took from you this is tradition um yeah. like, no, it's not tradition this literally did not exist before like 1950 and traditionalists yeah, kind well, of yeah uh, we're like this is too hyper modern we need to go back to something earlier so yeah yeah but yeah, well, the, the something that happened was, of course, the Second World War, like the largest, like most destructive human conflict in history. And, you know, with a large, with like massive parts of like the world economy and the world population, like destroyed the sort of the way that the West uh, rebuilt um, and not, not just the West, even. I mean, there is an equivalent of this in the Soviet Union, um, like in large parts of at least like what we call the global north. Um, what ensued during the rebuilding of the second, uh, after the second world war was in many ways, like the most prosperous and equal society that, um, humanity had known at least since like, you know, the advent of agriculture. Right. And this kind of, um, well, a, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of the male population, especially in the Soviet union, you saw this, uh, literally like something like a quarter of the male population. Population in the Soviet Union was dead after the Second World War, um, which hey that alleviates the insult problem because uh, mm. that means the remaining men just get to kind of have their pick, um, and you know to a lesser extent um, the way that sort of uh, the post-war prosperity boom uh, you know with a lot of like returning like say like the GI Bill where you know someone who was like born on a dirt poor farm in like Kansas, then went off to fight the war. If he managed to survive, you get like basically a one way, like fast, uh, fast tracked into like the suburban middle class. You go to yeah. college, you get to buy, buy a house. Uh, yeah, even if you don't go to college, right? You're a factory worker, you can afford a house with I, cars. I mean, um, what I loved about this argument is that, I mean, it's, it transposes onto the kind of um, sexual realm uh, and, and the private sphere, a point that I mean, we've often discussed on this podcast, but it's that, you know, the post-war, you know, golden age is so magnified in our imagination that we 
take it to represent the social norm across all of modern history. And this applies to politics when we assume that, you know, politics is this uh, neat conflict between social democracy and uh, Christian democracy and in kind of uh, in, in labor relations that, you know, you have a steady fixed job over the course of your lifetime and it pays you enough to kind of more or less get by um, and, and, and form a family and so on. And it's just such an exceptional period in, in, in human history. And it's something that becomes increasingly clear to us now, I think, in, in our present day is that whole world falls uh, falls apart and then you know falls away um and so i mean to take us back to up to the present day now that world is no longer there that you know you have the, the the kind of um social wage that there was and the ability of a, of a, of a man to have a, to be a you know single earner household and have a family and so on as that no longer is the case you have this incel phenomenon i guess today um emerging is that that basically right uh, yeah and i mean so like the the phenomenon isn't emerging, right? It was always there. It, it's just that the mm. post-war kind of uh, prosperity boom sort of masked it because it was like it was really and and this is like the thing. Um, the incels get really hung up on like you know hookup culture and dating apps and casual sex, right? Because that's what they want. They're they're growing up in the hyper modern era. But you know, you're talking about returning to tradition, like traditionally the way most men got sex like you know outside of like sex workers and prostitutes and like, that whole thing the for the majority of men in history the best and often only guarantor of sex was starting a family and getting married right that's that was how that was how it happened and yeah. so the way the reason that you know you didn't like incel was kind of emerging now is because in in that post-war you know and we're talking about what we're talking about basically a single generation something from like 1950 to 19 basically until the oil shock and like you know neoliberalism and then whatever vestiges of uh, remained after that but it was that for the first time in history a large chunk of like what in other eras would have been like mediocre unremarkable men who were just cannon fodder uh, they got the chance to start families, and that's that was their ticket out of uh, you know historical insulting. Yeah, and you know now that ticket now that ticket is no longer there. Now you're still like living with your parents in your twenties and thirties, and um, yeah, and so so, 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 so to talk right. about like like incels today, I mean how they conceive of themselves. You write that, and this is a point where you're kind of critical rather than just historical about about incels is that you write that they victimize themselves right um that the ideas that they have about themselves um are end up being i guess counterproductive um so can you tell us what how that how that argument works yeah well it's kind of ironic right because they um a like just uh, everything we've talked about already like they fetishize the, this idea that things were better in the past when you know when men were men and you know when you had traditional patriarchy well for the for like 95 percent of history traditional patriarchy statistically would mean that you'd get sent off to fucking be like sorry can i curse not here uh yeah. <laughs> um to uh to like be impaled on a spear somewhere or like that that's that would rather than impaling someone else on a spear no that's terrible yes. i'm sorry carry on uh, <laughs> i know the freudian uh metaphor there. <laughs> I didn't realize. um oh, yeah like statistically that would be your fate under traditional patriarchy if you were a man um and the other thing is like you know they, there's this weird like kind of double consciousness where they um 
they have this narrative that like uh, w- women are gold gold diggers and you know they're just whores and they uh, like they like Chad because he has money and a nice car and like okay like let's humor that for a second but on the other hand they're also like opposed to you know like feminism and the idea of like gender equality and the idea of like women uh, working and earning money for themselves so it's kind of like how do you like w- which is it right like which do you want One thing which which is it's it's made hearing you talk about this has, has made me think is that like do you think that framing this in terms of like incels or inceldom is is this like an American export because I think that was one of the things that when I sort of heard about the, as Alex mentioned Alex sorry Alex H mentioned at the top of the show like this this shooting in Plymouth which is um, in you know the south of England it's like that that kind of struck me in some ways as like this is an American phenomenon I think you know some people have written about for example BLM being this kind of American problem exported um, we've written about <laughs> this, this more or less problem. why do you always do right. this do you, just just say my name why do I someone, say my name someone has written about it <laughs> I mean some, someone has written about it yes. I mean okay the only writer in Sao Paulo in this yeah. conversation the only thing he writes in Sao Paulo. Yeah. Um, anyway, my, my point was basically going to be, um, and I was kind of thinking off the top of my head, so I kind of mangled it, but like, is like, it feels like this like incel discourse is is a very like American, uh, apologies to American listeners or American guests, like is in a very, very American way to understand. It's, it's okay, I'm actually, not really, I'm not really American. So, uh, you know. Okay. Well, um, right. yeah, uh, yeah. Um, even even greater apologies for, for for suggesting that you were then. Um, but yeah, like, okay. What's my point? It's like, isn't this like a, a very American way to understand this? It's quite a, yeah. you know, it's obviously quite a polarizing frame to to like to put around this issue, and it seems to me quite an, an Americanized. Well, and it, or like or just attack onto that. It's like it kind of a, a particular form that alienation takes, I guess, in the US and this yeah. kind of, you know, male rage. And not to say that these things don't happen in, in other places. And actually you could maybe even talk about the phenomenon of Western jihadism, maybe in a, in a, in a similar, mm-hmm. in a similar frame even. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the specific incel thing um, does seem to be, yeah, I don't know. Because but on the I other hand, on the, the other hand, you know, as, as as I said at the beginning, you know, citing these headlines, it does seem to be something that kind of captures interest or speaks somehow to to an experience which which goes well beyond just the United States. Because, because I think I think sorry, Alex uh, G, but in the in the article when you talk about this kind of like this idea of a purpose void, it seems like this is something which is which is very <laughs> kind of globally like, applicable, but the the, um, the parlaying of that into the in, into inceldom or incel problems is seems like a, an American um, export. And as Alex yeah said, you know you can see articles from from the British Broadcasting Corporation about this, so it must have gone international. Yeah, I mean, like uh, you know, I'm as happy to rag on America as anyone, but yeah, like I mean, to say that the discourse is an export as uh, an American export is kind of that's like trivially true because like most just because America is like the center of global capitalism and sort of produces so much of the sort of culture that um, 
most like online discourse is going to be heavily uh, American inflected. Um, so yes, of course, like the way we talk about incels um, is in a lot of ways like uh, American influenced and an American export. But you know, as I point out in the article, the phenomenon itself is surprisingly global. It's just like manifests in different ways that I think even the incels themselves don't really recognize as related. So. You know, for example, like not, not just Western jihadism, though, of course, like that's that's a thing. And you, you see this more clearly now with like, you know, you have a lot of the alt-right incel memes that are kind of cheering on the Taliban. <laughs> right. Um, right. You've, see, you've seen that stuff. But I mean, like just non-Western jihadism, like, like jihadism in the Middle East and elsewhere. Like, who do you think those guys are that sign up for this? Yeah. Um, right. And I mean, they, this has been like I linked a couple of uh, like older articles in the article, but like, yeah, they, they have uh, interviews with like, you know, guys in Egypt and, uh, you know, like Lebanon or whatever, who like joined these groups. And a yeah. lot of them will say, well, yeah, like I, I didn't my life was really go, going nowhere. Uh, I didn't have a girlfriend. And, you know, that's like often not even like a possibility in a lot of these Muslim countries. Um and yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and, and that, that, that really brings guess, it home that through a lot of history, you know, even modern times that there have been not always the most, you know, kind of productive avenues, but for like something, to, what do you do with a lot of young men? And I guess our society right. expects them to be domesticated today. Um, and the, the, the kind of material basis for that domestication doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, right. so just, and just, just to, just to throw something in there, I mean, maybe that's, the, the 72 virgins that that kind of recruitment tactic to, to bring about that kind of yeah. um reference i mean that could and that is also by the way the title of a um of a novel by current prime minister of, of the uk boris johnson so read into that what you will listeners um but yeah anyway sorry i don't know if, if i had a, a more yeah. a more serious point there um no, or in India, like, you know, the, the BJP and their kind of like mass, like almost like I would call it like, I know the word gets thrown a lot, but that's like, if we're going to call anything fascist, like the sort mm -hmm. of like BJP mobs in India, like that's, that, that's pretty close to it. And, you know, like the, there was an article, they interviewed a lot of those men and same thing. Like, you know, I, they have very little prospect of finding a wife, um, but, you know, they can sort of, uh, they can uh, marry this like higher ideal of, yeah. uh, you know, the pure nation. Um, yeah. So like this, this link is kind of always there. Um, and it's and precisely why, yeah, like young men, like large concentrations of uh, unintegrated young men are dangerous. Well, I mean, and, and it's funny because I mean, obviously the way that the discussion happens is in terms of dating, matching up, hooking up uh, and, and, and so on. And one thing we actually discussed re on a recent episode in the three articles uh, was this article about female strategic dating, I think it's called, where, you know, women, oh, God. <laughs> women trying yeah. to um, adopt sort of like a marketing funneling approach to dating men and set very strict rules about what they expect men to do. And as soon as they uh, trespass or, you know, transgress one of these rules that they kind of get excluded and they go, okay, well, I'm cutting you from the, from my Tinder, I'm keeping you, blah, 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 right, blah, right, to right. try to try to match up in a very um, commodified, basically a very commodified way, trying to find a Yeah, it's, it's a, commodified, a but it's also like trying to be like trad, right? It's like, so yeah. like, oh, it's like you're, 
you're aiming for these traditional goals of marriage and children. I, oh, you, you go, yeah. I, if you want to talk about FDS, that's like that's an interesting thing. I think it ties into this phenomenon too, because it's it's the flip side of uh, the sorts of uh, let's say the market effects of inceldom, which yeah. is that, um, and you know, like um, the other part of like you know what's different in the modern world that I want to talk about is like a you don't have these like. Uh, large-scale release valves for the surplus. Let's call them the surplus. Uh, I, I use superfluous men to borrow uh, a term from, um, that's a term from like Pushkin and 19th century Russian literature. Uh, but yeah, these like, uh, you used to have these like mass release valves for getting rid of superfluous men, either send them off on ships, send them off to war. Um, obviously war still happens, but you know, even in like the worst wars today, the statistically like the casualty numbers are you know it's it's not you're not sending a bunch of guys on a field in a meat grinder it's like you're sending small teams you're sending drones um not really effective as a way to get rid of surplus men anymore yeah um and so there's that also you know hard hard labor and sorts of jobs where like physical strength uh that you need men for uh, the proportion of that required in like today's global economy is constantly shrinking, right? And in fact, like mo the fastest growing, like sort of, um, let's say like, I mean, there's no, like as a good socialist, I'll say there's no such thing as unskilled labor, but let's say like low wage work that doesn't require like prior credentialing. Majority yeah. of that is now like in service industries. And those are kinds of jobs where actually women are favored because, um, you know, for sorts of various like, gender conditioning reasons women are more likely to show up to work on time less likely to like get into fights with their coworkers, less likely to show up drunk um more kind of less threatening and more pleasant to customers uh or at least perceived that way like fairly or not so and, yeah, you know there's there's th sorry to yeah just yeah. jump in there there's there's some interesting stuff around whether the ideal neoliberal subject is is male or female and and the, some of those things that you said about the like you know you don't, you don't want to say like obviously all women are compliant but the the socialization in terms yeah. of of those those aspects certainly there could be you know re reasonably um argued to be a, a kind of gender difference but i guess one one thing which i had kind of on and like alex h read this read the article when it came out and reread it you know before before this discussion this, this evening was one thing I was thinking was like, where, where will the incels go politically? <laughs> like you've kind of, you've kind of said, you know, they, in game of Thrones, they go to, um, um, to, to that, the name of that, that cult. The faith militant. Faith militant. That was faith it. militant. Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, so where, where, where do they go? Because it's like the, who is the enemy of the, of the incel is it is it the chad is it like and if you think like who are the like bezos or, or mark zuckerberg they're not chads right i mean is there any way to organize incels to <laughs> to kind of i don't know to uh, yeah anyway I'll beat just, up I'll nerds just, that's yeah <laughs> right it's not beat up nerds but it's like how are how are how is does that kind of like uh i guess outlook um develop politically because clearly you know, there's, as we sort of said at the beginning, there's, there's potential kind of structural factors, which, which mean this isn't going away as a, 
as a as a well, yeah, and, and, the and, and it's a kind of a feature of kind of the war of all against all, right? As as prospects and horizons diminish, you get increasing conflict between, uh, you know, within the masses, effectively, right? And one of those lines that is drawn, it gets drawn on kind of gender lines, whether it's men versus women or men against other working class men, but those working class men who, you know, uh, are perceived as, as the Chad, who is sexually so, successful and, and not. Um, so this, on this yeah. point of the, the war of all against all, just, just, this isn't again, a particularly serious point, but like in, in, in that situation, life is um, poor, nasty, brutish, solitary, but at least it's short. That's, <laughs> that's the to take a, a right. Woody Allen uh, a joke about the, the, the food being terrible, but at least the portions being so, so small, but I mean, like, what what is the? It's, it's a Hobbes reference. I mean, pe- people people love that shit. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- there is a serious question. Like, is this like in, uh, incel unionizable? Uh, are they like <laughs> gonna be all right forever? Like, there's a clearly like I mean, an oppositional nihilistic current. But what does it mean politically? Sorry, I spoke for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, like, I think yes, the answer for incels, just like the answer for everyone else is socialism and the abolition of class society, right? Uh, but uh, I don't know, from like an, and I'm, I'm not an organizer, but from an organizing and branding standpoint, I don't know if like organized incels is the slogan that uh, <laughs> that we want. I mean, hopefully, hopefully they would be attracted to a resurgent socialist movement just for, you know, the same reasons that anyone would um and, and we're in the past like, and we're in the past probably as well i mean you know that that yeah. is was a social purpose you know become a communist yeah oh definitely yeah and i mean especially in the past when that also entailed like bloody revolutions and wars um you know that's that's at least a productive thing that the surplus men could be sent to that you know wasn't just for making the ruling classes rich um but yeah, I mean, you know, the question is, like, is there any hope? Like, I don't know. Is there any hope for the left? Is there any hope for socialism? That yeah. Would be like, well, yeah. maybe just to round this out and to take the, the question from a different angle, um, not the incel subjectivity, but I guess what how they will be treated as objects, because the discourse seems to be going, especially in the US, um, that the incels will be the objects of a, of a new war on terror, the war on terror brought home, which is what oh, yeah. we're seeing kind of not just in relation to incels, but in relation to Trumpists and get to the alt-right and all the rest of it and in, into which incels get, get lumped. Um, where do you see that going? Yeah, uh, not, not great. Uh, I don't see it going anywhere good. Um, I don't know. I was just watching, uh, did you see this like extremism expert that was on British TV that was saying, Oh, watch out for the red flags. If your children start saying words like normie or base, <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah, they're they're probably part of this uh, extremist network. Um, Wait, it's and, it's like it's like the yeah. parent who hears them say this, but then finds a used condom in in you know in in the in the trash. It's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and it's it, it does seem to be like a new version of uh, well, especially for like when it comes to like the discourse on like teenagers and their online whatever. It it really kind of seems to echo like the satanic panic of the 80s like oh uh is is your child mm. like playing dungeons and dragons or engaging in uh whatever um it's, it's I, but it also 
Yeah. Is Dungeons and Dragons bad now? I thought it was supposed to be good. No, no, no. I it... in uh, in the eighties, it was part of this like it was like all these like Christian groups in the U.S. were campaigning against it and thought it was like a gateway into satanic worship. Yeah, and, if you uh... if you see your your kid with a with a D twenty, you need to right. you need to to ground them. Yeah, um, I just want to hear. I don't know what that advice. means. I have no idea what that means. Um, oh, you're you're such you're such a Chad that you know you've never even seen a D twenty. Yeah, I don't know what this is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's actually quite a simple concept. Like, no, no, we, we don't need dice. to do this. Like we don't need to do this. But it's also it's it's also a echo of like you know the the Bush era kind of like uh, concern about like people getting wrecked. Muslims uh, getting yeah. radicalized, right, and like like sort of increased surveillance around that. And, and that's um, where you start your article, right? Like you don't need to, it doesn't need yeah. to be questioned. They hate us, or you know they're filled essentially with hate, and it doesn't need to be uh, probed into any further. We don't. There's nothing that we need to unmask and try to understand the reasons behind it. Well, yeah, and that's what course. that's what the right was saying at the time, and now it's the left saying it, right? Yeah, like yeah, that's the, yeah. I mean, sort of, but there's also that, uh, I mean, there's this element of like moral panic, right? Which is, you know, yeah. it's quite a simple point, but it's that moral panics um, require the, not, you know, require somebody to navigate that moral panic. I think the writer, Mary Harrington talks about incel safaris and that, that was exactly the, you know, that person who went on British um, uh, morning TV and was like, these words, like, normie, if your kid says this, yeah. then you... You know, like call nine 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 or nine one one for American listeners. It's like, you know, okay, this is like treating these people as as entirely. You know, you need to put on your kind of like khaki shorts and like multi pocketed like shirt <laughs> to go and like, oh, what what do you think about like these things? It's like, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a it's kind of a dynamic which gets which you know which there were some particularly ridiculous examples in in the British context after this shooting in Plymouth but yeah I mean there's yeah. there, there are certain people who have an interest in in promoting a moral panic let's put it that way yeah definitely um yeah I'm just imagining the sort of uh, Orwellian future where uh you know random drones inspect uh teenagers uh trash cans for used condoms and uh if they're if they're not, if there isn't a used condom in there, they yeah. get like reported. Uh, <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a strange inversion yeah. of like a you know a panic around sex. Like, oh, thank God they're having sex. Um, they're they're going right, to be right. okay. Yeah, like that would it. be funny. But like, um, I wouldn't think. I think just go back to it. like I was going to touch on when you mentioned the female dating strategy. So like, you know, we were talking about like how society, like, you know, the society that we live in, um, has less and less use for men, right? And they're um, you know, you also see it in like the declining college uh, enrollments, like most standard college campuses now, like something like 60, 40 uh, women to men. Um, and I think where stuff like the female dating strategy comes from, and this is like one of the ways that, you know, this, this insult done thing actually hurts everyone, um, is that you see in the, now there's like a mismatch, right? Because you have uh, an increasing portion of like college educated, like uh, eligible quote unquote women, um, competing for like a shrinking pool of eligible men yeah which um which creates this kind of like perverse uh weird dynamic that like the that shrinking pool of eligible men uh kind of like um guys in the soviet union uh you know following world war ii uh they can kind of be assholes and slobs and uh don't and can kind of treat women like crap and still get get what they want because it's like yeah there's nowhere else for them to go because for various reasons women aren't going to date down they aren't going to date the disposable 
um, surplus men who live with their mothers. Um, so, you know, that I think that's actually what's driving a lot of this like frustration uh, where, you know, college educated women, you know, even having grown up with like liberal feminism, decide that they want to settle down in their 30s or whatever and can't uh, because uh, there's these the, the pool of men that they're competing for has no reason to sort of settle down um, or to like pursue commitment um, because they have more options. So then you get this sort of frustrated kind of like almost like trad reaction like uh, and I think I'm not going to name particular podcasts or uh, figures, but I think you see some of this among like the left uh, kind of mm. commentator community as well. Um, that this kind of like, you know, liberal feminism was a mistake. Uh, actually, we need to return to tread. Um, yeah, which again, yeah. it's a kind of mirror mirror image reflection back rather than uh, asking deeper questions. And I think we will uh, leave this here. Um, but uh, thank you for asking those deeper questions and for presenting a, an actual kind of class-based analysis of the incel phenomenon, which uh, I hope for listeners was uh, clarifying. It certainly was for me and I think for George when we read the article. Um, so it's linked to in the, in the show notes. I urge people to, to go read it. Um, and uh, what, what's coming next, Alex? What's coming next from you? Um, don't have anything I'm working on immediately. I was hoping to actually like do kind of a similar deeper dive about the sorts of like uh, the QAnon and the kind of January 6th uh, quote unquote insurrection from um, from way back. Um, that would be good. That'd be good. But yeah, we will, uh, we will leave that here. Thank you so much, Alex. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. Uh, Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers.